Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora everyone, it's just me popping in before the episode begins to let you know that there is actually a giveaway happening within this episode. I thought I'd do it a little bit differently this time instead of making it on Instagram because I wanted to give this away to someone who has listened to the episode. We will be giving away one copy of Glenn's book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested, which I have read and we go over within this episode as well. So I'm so excited for one of you to take this away. All you have to do to win is message me on Instagram at the one up project with something you took away from this episode it could literally be anything so I'm looking forward to hearing from you and I will give you two weeks to do that we will draw the winner on Monday the 1st of August and I will send it out within that week so can't wait and I hope you enjoy the episode see you soon Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the one up project today I have an author a retired retired financial advisor and a host of a very popular podcast, My Millennial Money here, Glenn James. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I can't wait to have a chat about all the things. Oh, no worries at all. Thank you so much for being here. Um, In addition to all of those things I've just mentioned, you're also a pretty normal, straight up guy. And (laughs) after reading your book, I felt like we were just such great friends because of the approachable nature of it. Yeah. And it's funny because the um, publishers in all their correspondence and when they talk about me, they talk about, oh, well, because you're an author now and authors do this. And and I'm like, do not call me an author. I'm not an author. I'm just a guy who sat down in Queenstown in New Zealand for three weeks and smashed out a book. Mm. Like that's all I am. Wow. So yeah, it's kind of funny. I, because I wrote things in it like, oh, don't, don't make sure your T's are dotted and your I's are crossed or something like that. And they said, oh, is that, um, is that a mistake? I'm like, no, I'm being hilarious. Leave it in there. So it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. And it felt, it had that vibe as I was reading through it. Like even just the little, you know, little things like little smiley faces or whatever just added to the sense of humor that I know was coming through and what you were saying. And so you felt like connected to, what you were reading, which was so cool, especially when you're reading about something like mortgages or whatever it was. Totally. Yeah. And that's it. You've got to make things relatable and approachable as possible. I mean, you know, I'm a white Aussie guy. I can't be relatable and approachable and all that to everybody, but at least I'll try and remove some barriers to information and entry. Definitely. And I also think just kind of reducing the seriousness of it as in like this money is a life or death matter like we must get this right in order to advance our futures and all this kind of shit it was just so much more here's the information you know you put that towards your life and this is as easy as it gets kind of thing and it was like okay yep there we go done (laughs) which was (laughs) so good yeah (laughs) what has been the topic or like information within this book that you think has helped people the most so far I honestly think the building blocks around 
investing because a lot of people might not invest because they think it's like gambling, for example, or they might have a KiwiSaver account and not realise that it's actually their money. And what I like to do is just try and talk about basic concepts and we, all right, we all understand that concept. Sweet, let's move on to the next concept. Okay, sweet. And then we kind of build and, you know, I think I started in the book talking about uh, cash and how it's conservative, it, you know, it's not going to disappear overnight or anything like that, which is good in the short term, but long term we want to make our money grow, but we don't want to risk our money. So that's why we need to say, okay, well, investing in a single stock that's highly speculative and hasn't got a track record, that's really risky. But what if we brought it back and invested in a, a broad-based index fund? And, you know, if you had 500 shares and you were invested in that and one of those shares falls off the face of the earth, well, you wouldn't even blink in terms of your portfolio value. So I think my whole thing, because I wrote this book and, you know, it's over 95,000 words. I wrote it, you know, three weeks in Queenstown and then two weeks back in Australia and then a week of just flapping around it was an easy write for me because I talked about all this stuff for like the last 10 years with every single client that I had in my financial planning practice. So I really tried to write in a way that answered a lot of people's questions because I was writing as if a new client would come to me and I know what they're going to ask. They're going to say, well, isn't it risky? Well, yes, but if we look at it this way, it's a risk not to invest. So, Yeah, definitely. And so many of us as beginners can relate to the same information. There's a few things in there that I laughed at, not because necessarily those things are supposed to be funny, but that those are things that everyone always talks about. And I totally agree with something you'd said that the best kind of consumer debt is none. And you've mentioned this somewhat in the book as well, but I'm keen to hear you tell us now what your opinion is on using credit cards for like benefits and points and always paying it off before interest and all the people that talk about doing that. Yeah, look, I'm kind of, I'm officially old now. Like I'm old and washed up and I'm at... What's officially old? I don't know, I'm 38 now, so I'm done, <laughs> you know, like... That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm out to pasture. So when you're old and done and out to pasture like me, you kind of get to the point where, you know, this is how I manage my money. If you want to do it your way, you can. I don't care. But I will say a couple of things. Credit cards are designed for one reason only. And that's for the bank to effectively make money on balance, right? So, mm. you know, I don't want to talk about the C word and the COVID and all that stuff. But like, it's, I will, because whatever, we've just been through all this stuff. Hard to avoid. Like public health policy, it's made as a big blanket. You can't actually do public health policy based on one person because we know that one person could have a reaction to a needle, for example. But mm. they know on balance it's good if everyone gets vaccinated. Like, you know, so but with credit cards it's the same but nothing to do with vaccines. The banks, they create these credit cards because they think on balance we know that people will spend more than what they can afford and not pay it off and we earn interest. So I don't want to get in the weeds in my own life of doing that stuff because a couple of things. I'm a spender by nature. 
and I'll spend it. If it's in my bank account, it will grow legs. With credit cards, even if you are paying it off each month and playing the point game, there's a high chance you might be spending more than if it was just your own money because there's no emotional Mm. pain to that. And then three, I talk because I am old and washed up. Growing up as a kid, there were these, I don't think I did it in the book. Uh, And the book's called Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested if we didn't mention it. But there was these illusionists in Las Vegas called Sinkford and Roy or something like that. And there were these old dudes and they were like leather skin, like being in the um, Los, uh, the Las Vegas sun all their lives. So like tan and there's the oldest time and they did this illusionist trick and you can Google it and check it out. And they actually had a live tiger or a lion, I think, on stage. I think it was a white tiger, right? And it did the mm. tricks. So that they tamed the tiger, right? But at the very end of their career, the tiger turned around and mauled one of them <laughs> live on stage, which is just this yeah, story. horrendous, right? Mm. And a tiger is designed to attack. A tiger is not designed to be played around with. Mm. And a lot of the time with the credit card stuff, it might only be a matter of time before you get caught out. Mm. You know, you may load up the credit card and, oh, I... I put my expenses on it and it's $1,000 a month and I just put it on there and pay it off, put it on there, pay it off. Now, what happens? You put the expenses on, oh, COVID hits, don't have an income, can't pay it off, bam, caught out. So Mm. there will be times where you might be caught out. There are people who are really anal with their money and are savers and can manage it and navigate it. I'm not one of them. I don't want extra chances to get marketed to by credit card companies. I don't want the temptation. Now, full disclosure, uh, I have not had a credit card for years and years and years. I was in the United States before COVID. I kind of almost got caught out trying to hire a car without one. There's some weird technicality in America that you needed a credit card if you wanted to hire a car at one location from an airport and drop it off at another location. If it wasn't an airport, you could do it without a credit card. Like there was some weird thing that I was trying to do. Strange. Yeah, I had to drive to the other side of town to get the hire car with my Visa debit card to drive it to another location. So it was some airport rule, I think some anti-terrorism thing. I don't know, something weird. I'm taking my team to the United States in September to Florida to a conference called FinCon, Money Influencers Conference. And I've just got a credit card in the business because when I've got, when there's five of us and I've got to drop eight or nine grand at once paying for hotel bills and all that, I can't have any drama. So there are like caveats, but yeah, in the main, I don't roll with a credit card day in, day out. Yeah. I think I agreed with a lot of what you had said because I have always avoided credit cards despite the chat around points and all of that for the exact same reason is that I don't want to get caught out, even though I would actually say that my money habits generally are pretty good and I probably would be able to be in control of it. But even besides that, you just never know what could happen. Um, But also I don't want to give myself the opportunity to test it either way. If I don't have to, like why test it if I don't actually have to? And so I think having an awareness of your own habits is actually really important. 
when it comes to those little, I guess, tips and tricks that people will give to you that often could be a, a tip or a trick that it works in the against you ultimately and it might be the same for something else you'd mentioned in the book which was around consolidating debt um and it can mean you're moving everything into one debt and it isn't that helpful like why do you think that and how does this work in terms of consolidating interest rates as well yeah i mean at the end of the day if you've decided that you're ready to get out of debt just get your hands dirty start paying off your debt right mm. now the trap is with consolidating your debt so you might have three loans putting it into the one loan number one they'll sell it to you so it's a, a smaller monthly fee because they'll usually push out the payment term so you'll probably end up paying more interest where mm. and then you might have the feeling that oh I've I've done something here I've got a debt consolidation but you've you haven't done anything you just move the debt from this side of the desk with three debts to this side of the desk with one debt the end of the, the day is you still owe the same amount of money. Mm. And the trap with doing that, I believe, from just coaching people, you haven't worked on the habits and behaviours of stopping spending more than what you earn on a consistent basis. Mm. So it's just so important that if you do find yourself in this trap of consumer debt and you do want to get out, we need to change the person in the mirror. We don't need to – the debt isn't the problem. The interest rate is not the problem. The problem is you and you overspending. So don't try and fix something that isn't a problem. Fix the problem and that's you. And I think once mm. you get focused and dialed in, you know, run a debt snowball, pay the smallest off first, do it everything minimum payments and just get after it, I think you'll find if you actually crunch it out in a spreadsheet, there'll be bugger all differences in the interest saved with the debt consolidation. So it's just a small trap that you might get caught in thinking that you have actually done something, but you haven't, you just moved the debt. Mm. I think that was like an interesting thing about your book as well, is that I found it to be quite, some parts quite confronting like that. And maybe a unique point of view to other money books I'd read in the past where, you know, or people you talk to all the time who'll say avalanche method is the best, which means paying down the interest, uh, the debt with the highest interest first. Whereas you took kind of the opposite approach to that where just actually start getting rid of debt, smallest one, so that you can actually build up those habits. And it, it was a point of view that I hadn't heard many financial advisors take, but it makes so much sense because, as you said, if you're starting with someone who has traditionally really bad money habits, then why, what's the point of putting all this like strategic focus on how we're going to reduce like the most amount of interest in the least amount of time when you should just be working on actually the small wins and building up momentum from there? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think I was a little bit cheeky and aka confronting in the book where I said like <laughs> someone might say, oh, Glenn, I've got all this debt and it just makes sense to me to consolidate it and to do a 0% finance for the next six months. But I would say to you, it might make sense, but I don't think we're in a moral position to make judgment calls on what's the best thing to do because if we were in that position, we wouldn't have consumer debt to start with paying interest on debt. So all that to say that it's mm. a behavioural problem that we've all been in and we've all had before. So the answer is not head knowledge. The answer is to change our habits and behaviours because head knowledge did not get you into debt because if I said to you, hey, do you want to buy a pair of jeans? They're $220 pair of jeans. 
by the way, for the next six months, you need to pay 17% on those jeans. Mm. It doesn't make sense. You would not do it. It's just you wouldn't do it. But it's a behavioural thing. Oh, I can have the jeans now and wear them and yay. Like, So we can't get out of a, an issue of behaviour without using behaviour to get out. And ideally we can form these behaviours and habits earlier in life rather than later. But one of the first situations where people will confront this is with their student loans or hex debt, it's called in Oz, is that right? So in New Zealand... Yeah, hex or help debt. Hex or help debt. Yeah, right. So uh, in New Zealand, I'm actually not sure if this is the same in Oz, the student loans are interest-free. Yeah, so in Australia, they're interest-free, but each year they're indexed in line with the average of the last two years of inflation. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know in this circumstance whether they should prioritise paying this off at all, I guess in New Zealand with it being completely interest-free if you aren't leaving the country, in comparison to investing or saving for a first home or, or something like that. Like, what What's your opinion on that? Yeah, so does in New Zealand, does the government garnish your pay? Like, do they withhold extra tax if you do have that? So it will be getting paid off automatically? Yes, yes, it will. So, yeah, you'll have... Um, like your pay will, you'll be contributing to it automatically through your pay. Yeah, ordinarily, and I do cover this in detail in the book, I I would not uh, focus on that. Traditionally, people talk about good debt and bad debt. And, you know, the money people say good debt is debt that's tax deductible and debt that's attached Mm. to a growth asset. So, you know, you borrow money to buy an investment property and they say, oh, bad debt, bad debt's credit card debt and car loans, debt that's attached to an asset that's going down in value and you can't, claim the interest on tax. Whereas, you know, the hex or help debt or the student loan debt in New Zealand or even your home mortgage debt, I don't really believe it directly falls in either category. So I'm calling yeah. this like a life debt. It's just there as a function of our modern life. And, you know, if you did have, if your income was $800 a week, $1,000 a week, whatever you're earning, and in the background the government is garnishing your pay to slowly pay down the student loan debt. Awesome. I'm going to focus on saving for my home deposit or something like that Mm. because that's going to be a better bang for my buck. And in Australia, our student debt dies with us. So if you did die prematurely and you had a family or whatnot, if you had paid extra into that debt, that money's gone forever. But at least if you had that money and you invested it or you paid down your home mortgage Mm. at least your family can benefit from that so Mm. yeah I think there are limited circumstances where you would pay extra down on your um, student loan debt and I think it'd be on the basis that all your other short or medium financial goals are taken care of and you wanted to just swing back around for housekeeping. It's an interesting one I find especially when people still you know they still have their student loan or their debt as they get older and they want to move overseas because with the New Zealand one, if you're no longer a New Zealand tax resident or you're out of the country for a certain amount of days, you end up getting charged interest on that loan. And so that's when people start thinking, okay, well then now maybe that's when I prioritise it. Yeah. Do you think there's a way to like weigh up those priorities against, like, would you calculate the interest versus what you would be investing or is there a simpler way to look at it than that? So if you're going overseas and you stopped being a tax resident, we know that's pretty permanent, right? Mm. So I would be weighing it up that, well, I've got this never-ending debt that is actually going to have an interest levied on it. 
I think you may have to bring that forward in part of your financial plan when you are overseas to start address it yeah. because you're obviously not earning an income in New Zealand, but you are earning an income. And if you were earning that over, if you were earning that income in New Zealand, it would be paid down anyway. So I think there is an argument if you do leave New Zealand and you are working overseas as a tax resident, I probably would be sending money home to at least cover the interest Mm. And maybe on a plan to have that gone within five to seven years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But I, I honestly, I, I probably need to look more into the um, the student loan debt in New Zealand. Uh, but that's how I would be looking at it conceptually. I mean, if you were going overseas for 12 months and working over there and becoming a tax resident, you know, in money land, 12 months isn't long term. You might just like, yeah, whatever, I'll deal with it when I get home. But I think if you are permanently migrating mm. somewhere else, I think you probably do have some type of responsibility to address that because it's just going to come back and annoy you at some point. So like everything, the answer is it depends. Yeah, <laughs> we love that answer. Very classic one. And I guess taking a look at your, you take a look at your budget and things like that as well, which reminds me of the four levers you spoke about in your book around the four levers you can pull for your budget. I really, really enjoyed this concept. Yeah. Could you outline them for us? The cost of living has just skyrocketed. Mm. Like I think it costs me an extra $40 a week now to fuel up my car. Yeah. Same. Like in Australia, we've had this thing where lettuce has, there's been a shortage. So lettuce is costing more. Coffee's cost like electricity prices, everything's costing more, yeah, right? So cucumbers in New Zealand are <clears> just <throat> skyrocketed in price. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> we don't have that problem, but sure, it's probably going to happen here next week. But what, you know, put simply, our budget, I believe there are only four main levers to have more money in our life or in our budget. Mm. And, the, and we can sometimes pull these levers concurrently or all together, the first lever is if we want more money in our budget, increase income. So that might be I get a pay rise, I do overtime, I get a second job, whatever that is. Like I literally go and increase income to get more money into my budget, which means nothing needs to change. Mm. So everything stays the same. Cover, I get more. I get. I go get a better paying job or a new side hustle or something on the side. So I don't have to pay, I don't have to worry about reducing my savings to pay for the cucumbers. So get more income. The second one is to keep the status quo and that's keep your income the same, keep everything else the same in your budget, but reduce your savings. Mm. So we all want to get to a, you know, a privileged position where we have money left over at the end of the pay cycle or at the end of the budgeting term to save and I say saving like saving for a holiday, saving for discretionary items like new lounge, um, might be investing. So, you know, if you had $100 a week left over, I'm going to put $50 in an account for a holiday and I'm going to put $50 in an investment account. So we can go, well, things are tight. I have to save less money. So I'm only putting $20 a week into my holiday fund and that $30 is going into the budget for cucumbers now because I don't want to work more hours to get higher money. So they're the first two, increase income, decrease savings. The next two are kind of actually getting micro with the budget. And that is the first one is to tweak or review a line item. 
So an example might be, you might have a line item of streaming services and you might have five different, you know, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus, you know, Netflix, like you've got all the streaming services. So you might log in and say, well, I've got my budget here. I'm just going to review a line item and decrease the cost in that line item to optimize. So then that $15 a month I was spending on Netflix, I'm putting that towards cucumbers now because I want the status quo to be the same. I still want to be saving for my holiday. I don't want to be working extra hours. So it's that balancing. The fourth thing that I believe we can do is to cut something out completely. Mm. And that could be I'm cutting all my streaming services and I'm just watching free-to-air um, on the website like I don't know, TVNZ, is that a channel Correct. or something? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like I'm going to watch old British replays on TVNZ and put up with the ads and ditch all my streaming services. Mm. Or it could be I love exercise, I love fitness, but, you know, I go to the gym, I pay Pilates at another studio and I've got a personal trainer. You might be like I'm ditching all of that and I'm just going for a run with a friend at no cost. Yeah. So I believe they're the four main levers that we can pull in our personal budget to optimise. I, I loved it because I think sometimes when people are trying to sort their money out and they look at their budget or whatever kind of system they're using to organise things and you can feel quite trapped, like what do I do to change this? I can't possibly make any changes from what is here. Yeah. And I've been saying for a while now, the problem is that we do live in reality and that sucks because I want to, I want to maintain the status quo. I want to work the same amount of hours. I want to get the same amount of money. I want to have the same amount of savings, but I want my cucumber and I want my Netflix, but we live in reality and the reality is things are getting more expensive, which means the reality is there has to be a a tipping point in the scales to make our budget balance and to make it balance something has to give that's the reality can you tell us why you think people tend to neglect starting with the basics or the foundations like often i think some people just want to go yeah i'm i've decided i'm sorting out my money today okay let's do everything now in this moment that i can possibly do to to make it work and then don't start with just the basics I, uh, you've hit it on the head, like the basics are boring. I mean, mm. I was thinking the other day, like I, I watched Top Gun Maverick at the cinema and then, you know, nice. they, um, have, you, have you seen it? I actually haven't and I'm yeah. really gutted about it because I really want to see it. Seriously, you got to see it at the cinema. Yeah. And I watched Elvis the other night, fantastic. Oh, okay, Seriously. good to know. But anyway, watch Top Gun, then I go home. After I watch movies, I go and watch like the B-rolls on YouTube, like all the behind the scenes because I like production and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, oh, behind the scenes, the actors started in like these little Cessna planes to get a feel for the plane where like I'm like, stuff that, day one, put me in the jet, baby, like, you know. <laughs> but you've got to understand you need baseline stuff done, right? Yeah. So the problem is... It's all well and good. And I've been on My Millennial Money lately, I've been crapping on about like uh, strategy and tactics, right? So mm -hmm. all the, um, the tactical stuff in our life is fun and it's easy. So I want to mm -hmm. be a share investor. Okay, I'll jump online, buy some shares in Apple, done. Okay, but what, were you, what do you want to do with your money? Aren't you saving to go overseas? Yeah, well, why did you invest? So like... 
the tactics of investing, pulling the trigger, buying, that's easy. You've got to go back. What are you actually doing with your life? Yes. Now, the problem, the Sound Financial House, I developed it because I was sick of seeing people that would come in to see a financial advisor for financial advice and me saying, hey, you don't need financial advice. You need to stop spending more than what you earn, get on a budget, mm. then we can actually do something with you. So, you know, and the same analogy is, you know, the four foundations in the book, I do know these off the top of my head, but I'll try to find it. There we go. Foundation one, spending plan. So you've got to have a budget or some type of spending plan in place. Foundation two, I would love you to be cashed up with an emergency fund and consumer debt free. Foundation three, our income insurance, our life insurance, you know, protection. Foundation four, our wills and our estate plan. Those four big foundations, they don't need to be tweaked much. Like a big construction or a new of a new home, there, there's some solid deep foundations that are of quality, right, that go deep because we want it to hold the house up. The slab of the house is like our superannuation or our Kiwi saver. You know, if you've got a job, mm. you've got one of those accounts. And then so we've got all that and we've got a bit of a reality that I've got my spending in order, I'm out of debt, and then the lifestyle goals are the wall. So it's like, well, we want to save for a home or we want to save to go overseas. And then the roof of the house is investing for the future. Now, the investing stuff, that's the fun stuff. The saving to go overseas, that's the fun stuff. The, you know, saving to buy our first home, that's the fun stuff. But the problem is I've seen too many people do all this fun stuff and go and buy an investment property and, and do all this stuff and then they wonder why they have to sell it in three years' time because they didn't actually plan that well, hang on, if we want to start a family, we might have to have one income less and, mm. you know, or if I got sick and I couldn't work, I can't afford the property so I have to sell it. So it's literally boring and dumb by saying you have to put the horse before the cart. Like, mm. and it's just slowing down and building on solid foundations. You know, if you've got a nice clear block of land and you had all the money in the world to build your dream home, I can guarantee you, you're not rocking up with the architect and saying, we need to build that nice gable roof first, please. I'm going to laugh at you. They're like, what? You want us to build a roof? We've got to do the foundations, bro. Like, mm. So <clears throat> it's just that it's more of a method of how to guide you through setting up your financial life because I'm really not prescriptive. I, as I said, when I was having my rant before about how I'm old and washed up, it doesn't bother me what anyone else does with their money because we're all adults. We've all, you know, we all can hang our hat off our own decisions. Mm. But at the end of the day, if you want a bit of a guide, you might look at the Sound Financial House. Something I've heard about a lot recently is estate planning, which is in there. And it seems to be one of these things that people just don't get or it seems overwhelming or there's so much to it. What do you think is one of the most commonly misunderstood parts of sorting your money out? So we're not getting out of here alive. So that means we have to plan for the knowns and, you know, there's unknown knowns. So we know we're going to die. We don't know when, but we can actually, and this is more important if you've got a family, more important if you've got a loved one. And actually in my book, there's a testimony in there from a, one of our listeners who actually lives in Auckland and we did a, um, an episode with her and I might be able to get you the, the link to the episode with her 
and she shares how effectively she got home one day and her husband was um, lying face down in the office and, you know, she didn't, they didn't have a will, they didn't, and then long story short, his father or family got the, the house and, he, and she goes, he would have been devastated to know that I didn't get that. So it's just more about we're adults and, you know, we need to plan for this stuff and if you, the ultimate love letter for your family is a will and a life insurance policy. And I think another important document is the power of attorney. So if you couldn't sign for something, and again, this is like foundational stuff. So it's pretty much one and done, like get it sorted, get on with your life. If you get divorced or something changes, if you have kids, then you tweak it. But realistically, it's a, it's a once-off thing. And is it boring? Yep. Is it sexy? Nope. Does it make life easy if you check out early? Absolutely. I went to a funeral last week, uh, somebody who died and left behind three kids under 10 and he died prematurely. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to set up his life insurance for his family and he had a will and I know his wife and the family are absolutely looked after financially. Could you imagine the grief that you would go through losing a parent or a spouse alone, by the way, no insurance, by the way, you've still got a mortgage, by the way, there's 90 grand a year that's not coming in the door anymore. Like I, I've just seen it too much and that's why I really wanted to address it. I'm a bit of a realist. I'm a bit of a pragmatist. I'm a bit of a got zero emotion most of the time. If I know that something is available and I make a conscious decision not to get it. So if I know I can get a car insurance policy on my car to cover it if I have a crash and decide not to and then have a crash, I can't bitch and moan. I can't whinge. I can't be the victim because I actively chose not to do that. It's a different story if you didn't know life insurance was available and you, someone died and, oh, this really sucks. Totally grace for that. But if you know something's available and you actively say, yes, it's available, no, I'm not doing it, you got to, you know, I say this as well, like I'm practical, I'm a realist. We all make the bed we lay for ourselves. But yeah, and if you don't hate me already, um, read the book, everyone, and you'll hate me even more. But just out here telling the way it is, telling it the way it is. No, I appreciate that approach. And I think it's good to think about all of those things that traditionally people don't think about or they don't want to think about. And I would like to know from your perspective when starting, if you had to start your wealth growing journey again, what would be the first thing you'd focus on? And if it is, you know, those elements of a sound financial house, uh, yeah, how would you start with that? Just get in the habits of setting up good financial stuff. So we'll just assume that, you know, you've got your income and you've got your budget in order and you're not really in consumer debt. You know, you might go, well, I've got my emergency fund of, you know, three months worth of expenses and expenses aren't savings. So, or ex three months worth of expenses isn't three months worth of salary. It's just after tax expenses and doing a good budget will help you do that. You might carve out some luxuries in there, but you just want a, a buffer behind you. So if you've got all that and you're like, awesome, I've got X amount per week left over. What I would first invest in is, do you want to know? Yeah. Do you want me to tell you? 
Yeah. All right. I reckon it's investing in yourself and your own career and making sure, like if you've got some money left over, if you're in a good financial position and you did want to do that $5,000 certification to get upskilled, I would be investing in yourself because you are the best financial annuity that's going around. Most people, average income, you might be worth $3 million worth of income over your lifetime. So we need to just, while we're starting out and we're a little bit more agile, some of your listeners may not have the family yet, may not have all the commitments and all the tie down. Let's really get dialed in. What are you all about? What are we doing? If you don't know what you want to do when you grow up, that's awesome. I don't either. So let's keep our budget lean. Let's keep our budget agile. Let's get some momentum. It's like, yep, I'm happening to life. I'm not letting life happen to me. And I'm focused. I'm dialed in. And honestly, investing in you, your mindset. If you're doing work that you hate, if you hate Mondays, you know, Mondays don't suck, your job sucks. Like we need to get to the point where we're living life on our own terms because if we're operating as the best version of us, it sounds weird, but we're actually the best version of us and that will give us the best shot of getting out there and making more money to then transfer that human capital into investment assets. Because if we, and I think, you know, drawing the curve, we all get to this critical mass of, you know, most people need rent or mortgage repayment. Most people need a phone. Most people need internet. Most people need to eat. Like most people need a car. We've all got this critical mass of expenses, right? I think once we get to the thing where we get to the, uh, past this critical mass, you get to that. And then if you put the extra money in, well, most of us, just because we earn money, we don't spend more a lot of the time. We do while we're working up to that critical mass because it's like, well, I don't want a $1,000 car now because I can actually afford a $10,000 one and I'm going to do that because that will improve my life. But as we go up that bell curve of, you know, getting to a critical mass of whatever that is or a baseline in today's society, if we then turn up our career and then start to earn money because we've developed the good habits and behaviors and haven't spent every living cent, we've actually then got more money to say, I'm going to now invest into a, a Vanguard fund or a BlackRock fund. And then along the way, I've thought of my strategy and my strategy is, oh, look, I just want to live right in the middle of Auckland in the CBD. I'll get a unit and I'll do my investment elsewhere and I'll rent here, live a cool life and all that and I'll do my investing elsewhere. Or along the way, you're like, you know what? I'm a homebody. I just want to buy a home. I, want, I can work remotely. I'm going to get something out in the countryside so I can paint the walls. Awesome. So you can kind of get a few things happening while you're building your life. But I'm not too worried about getting people to run out and buy shares tomorrow as long as they are looking, I always say one eye on the now, one eye on the future, one eye on the now, we're not spending more than what we earn, we're dialed in with our money, we're living agile, we're not having all this stuff hanging off our budget, but we've also got one eye on the future. We're looking up, I want this in the future, I want my life to be this. My team don't know it yet and they probably won't hear this until it goes up on your podcast, don't know when this is going up, but like we're moving, probably going to trial a four-day work week in my team. So I want the future and I want my team to live with purpose. I want my team to be energized about work and life. And I think as soon as we can get to that point in our life, 
all the money stuff takes care of itself because, you know, if you're sad, if you're down and I've had and do have mental health issues, if you're in a bad place, it can kind of be this round and round thing. I feel bad. I spend money to feel good. I got no money. Crap. Likewise with me with eating ice cream, I feel bad. I need ice cream, feel better. Oh, that was really bad for me. Oh, I feel bad. I need more ice cream and chocolate. So we got to, we've got to get out of these cycles and they can happen with our money. And you've got me all fired up about this stuff. So I just want to encourage everyone, <laughs> you can live the life you want. You are in the driver's seat. If you can't get there tomorrow, that's awesome. We've got an eye on the future. So what do you want, you, what do you want your life to look like? Because it's actually more about you and your life than it is, oh, how do I invest $1,000 into a share fund? I love, yeah, I think starting there, what do you want your life to look like is so, so key because that is actually going to be, that is actually the foundation of everything, not just your money, but how you choose to live life and what things are going to influence you to get to that point. And the kind of general gist, I suppose, of my podcast is that mix and intertwining of financial literacy and, and personal development because I do see it all as this huge ecosystem of things and I completely agree that ultimately first you have to make a commitment to yourself and you have to make that commitment in order to advance and develop in the way that is aligned with the person you want to be and build those mm. habits and that ties into your financial life as much as it ties into your relationships into your mental well-being into any other area of your life so yeah I couldn't agree with you more you become the best version of you firing all on all cylinders and I'm working on an episode to do around you know have contentment as the goal not money um you get to that thing where you are actually content in life or everything else works itself out and we just have to look at what does success mean for you if you don't know what that means maybe content could be your first goal how do I be content well, I freaking hate my toxic workplace. I love what I do. Like I'm a, I'm a nurse, but all these nurses, they're just, they just whinge all day. I might go to a different hospital or a different community thing. So it's like, no, my career doesn't suck. Just the situation is. So I think I'd be more content in a better environment. And then you might be like, okay, well, I'm going to go and look down that because there's always options a lot of the time, sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Like, what is your environment? And that will influence so much as well. And I think that's an incredible place to end. Thank you so much, Glenn, for your time. I've really appreciated it. The book is Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. I have read it. I love it. And I, again, appreciate your time. You've given us so much today. So thank you. Not a problem. And we'll have you over on the My Millennial Money podcast in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.